without knowing the property, without doing your preventative maintenance, you really don't see those things unless you spend the time to get to know each property. You want to be operating, I would imagine, with the least amount of components for your irrigation system as you can get away with to properly supply the water that you need. Correct. Because the, obviously the, the, the more less you that put, you have, the, the less that can go wrong. Less more. liability or more liability that yeah. something could fail or go wrong. Yeah. What would you say are some of the common misconceptions or mistakes that your just average person has about irrigation in general? Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I'm Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is all about HOAs and irrigation. And here to uh, talk to us more about uh, kind of the specifics and the details of irrigation and everything you want to know is Ralph Figueroa of RGS Landscape and Arbor Care. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ralph. I know that this is like right up your alley. You are the uh, irrigation expert extraordinaire. So uh, appreciate you being part of this. So uh, maybe just to get us get us started, um, I think it might be helpful and, and give us kind of a framework to work through if we talked about what are the major components of an irrigation system and what should we know about those components? Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here in front of you. Yeah, glad to have you <laughs> here. CEO of the company. Um, major components of irrigation, well, you know, there's uh, irrigation has evolved from manually watering, turning on a, uh, you know, the old wand that your grandpa had and go turn on the sprinklers with a little cross handle on top to putting a, uh, uh, timer on it so it's been automated <clears throat> you know so one major components you could say would be your uh, your water lines uh, make sure you have sufficient pressure you know knowing what you're feeding um, how you're going to operate it whether it be manually you know or uh, having automatic you know automatic valves uh, being with a solenoid or a battery operated uh, uh, solenoid which requires more uh, direct current uh, usually those are dc latching that we call in the industry or just hardwired into a controller in your garage or outside your home or outside the property. Um, and aside from that, that's basically uh, the major components to it. You know, aside from fittings, like any plumbing, uh, we use your common elbows, uh, T's, you know. Um, and then you have, the, you have the actual heads themselves. The actual head themselves. Um, the sprinkler head could come from a, a bubbler to a uh, conventional overhead spray that we call, you know, the misting that you see. Um, to uh, uh, drip irrigation, you know, the common tubes that you see nowadays with a, a small drip, and that's regulated either uh, gallons per hour, um, anywhere from half up to 0.9, you know, gallons per hour. And that's key to understand, you know, that that is how that's measured, where your uh, overhead sprays are measured in minutes, so okay. gallons per minute. Um, then you have your typical uh, stream rotors that we call, those are long-range uh, sprinkler heads, that can shoot anywhere depending on the manufacturer from, uh, you know, your standard, you know, 18 feet to, I used to work stuff with 70, 80 feet, rain cannons that they're called wow. in golf courses. Wow. Okay. So if something is going to go wrong with an irrigation system, uh, it's going to be either the, the lines themselves, um, it's going to be the valves, it could be 
um, the controller, or it could be the heads. Correct. Uh, those are the those are the the areas where something could go wrong. Fail. Correct. Um, and going back to in that order that you said, you know, if it's going to be the lines, it could be water hammer, could be high pressure, or um, a what faulty. What do you mean by water hammer? Um, when you have too much draw, you have friction in the line, so the water travels through your pipes, you know, rubbing the walls. And if it's if the demand is is too high for for what it is being supplied, the friction is faster than what it's supposed to handle. It's rated. Most uh, most pipes have a rating as far as how water should travel through it and the speed. And it's usually feet, you know, per second. And, and the standard uh, rule is it's going to be 100 feet, how it's measured, whether it be a half inch, a three quarter. Um, there's a rule you don't really pass. Otherwise, you know, the water's traveling so fast, it's creating so much friction in those lines that when it hits a fitting, it just, you hear a pop. And I see. It's bouncing off, you know, those fittings. So you want a constant flow um, through the line. Okay. To create, uh, to avoid that water hammer. All right. And then moving from uh, um, the, the components themselves into specifically talking maybe about the heads, um, talk to me about the difference of specifically, you mentioned uh, a bubbler versus drip. Um, when might you use either of those and what are the, what are the considerations uh, just comparing those two, those two types of heads? So a bubbler has been around for quite some time versus drip irrigation. Um, bubblers are, uh, you know, uh, the, when, when they were designed, they're designed to kind of be installed with the same uh, spray head system that you may have. So they're also rated in a minutes per gallon. Um, your drip irrigation, being that it's rated, you know, uh, gallons per hour, um, obviously the drip has to be a lot slower. Um, so the application would be on a tree, for example, large palm trees, specimen trees that, you know, you would have on a site. Um, if the root ball, let's just say it's a, let, let's just take a four by four, you know, four feet by four feet square. Um, that's a 40 inch, 48 inch box tree that we would call in the industry. You know, you, you want to put substantial water into that, you know, and if it's, if it's watering, um, if that system is attached to your regular shrubs around your property, you want that to be a large flow. Otherwise the gallons per minute aren't going to be suffice to fill that massive root ball that it requires, say 50 to hundred gallons, you know, a day or a week. Um, the bubblers usually are adjustable or they're preset to a specific, whether it be one gallon, two gallon, five gallon, and so forth. So based on the minutes, those are the gallons that you put down. So um, we normally recommend bubblers um, around the larger shrubs or larger trees. You know, trees are known to be the giant shrubs of the industry. So um, versus the drip, you know, you're going to put them on a young plant and consistently spaced out. Uh, if the plant is spaced out three feet, you can actually get a bubbler system that, uh, or a drip system, I should say, with the emitters. That's where the water, you know, the, the, the droplets come out of. They're spaced out at 12 inches up to 36 inches, you know, which is the standard rule for planting. If you're going to plant on center, the normal planting would be, you know, inches on center. That's every plan, how it comes up. So the uh, drip manufacturers also supply the, uh, the tubing system with that similar spacing as it's required on, uh, on plans. So um, 
when we we're talking about these two components or these two heads uh, in particular, uh, the bubbler and the, the drip system, the bubbler you're going to use when you need to get a concentrated amount of water for a particular shrub or tree and, and you want a higher volume. Drip is going to be more when you are moderating that amount of water and specifically it sounds like geared towards younger shrubs and maybe even younger trees. Is there ever a scenario in which you're going to use the, um, the drip system on mature shrubs or a mature tree? Yes. Um, <clears throat> you're going to, so for that, you're going to use um, using the emitters themselves. So each emitter, let's just say, you, let's use a solid number again, half, you know, half gallon per hour emitter. You're going to put as many emitters you can around that root ball. So let's just say you put, say, 10 emitters. That's five gallons of water you're putting down in one hour. So the more emitters are around that concentrated root ball, that's the amount of gallon that you I mean, the, the, the amount of water that you put down. So you can use it. You're, you're, it's, it's either always put on and, and you'll see it wrapped around in, in a circular manner. We don't recommend that. I personally don't only because if it, if it kinks, then you so, have a... <laughs> yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is you could get away with, with using a drip system for more mature shrubs or trees, but it doesn't sound like that's necessarily going to usually be a good idea. Yes, because it requires a lot of tubing. Right, which just allows more opportunity for things to go wrong. Yes. You want to be operating, I would imagine, with the least amount of components for your irrigation system as you can get away with to properly supply the water that you need. Correct. Because the, obviously the, the, the more less you that you have, the, the less that can go wrong. Less more. liability or more liability that yeah. something could fail or go wrong. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. All right, so let's talk now about the, the I think you called them the stream rotors and uh, just your, your typical spray heads. Talk to me about the difference on where you would use both of those. I know you said the stream rotors you might use in a golf course kind of a setting, but uh, walk us through the difference on those. So your stream rotors... <clears throat> your stream rotors are going to be used more commonly on a larger turf area. Um, and that's just to, again, it could be to minimize cost for material that you're using. Because where you could use, say, let's just take a solid number again, a 20 by 20 square. You could put a, a stream rotor at every corner. That's four sprinkler heads. Versus if you used on that same 20 by 20 square, you could use nine overhead spray heads. Now, the difference would be that your uh, four stream rotors are gonna shoot as it's required in the industry going head to head. Um, and the throw would be a 20 foot throw. So now, you need one every 10, every 20 feet. Every 20 feet. Right. Being the 20 by 20 square. Right. Now, if it's uh, um, going, going to the overhead spray, you would divide that even though the nozzles are made at a certain distance and they usually go in increments of they start anywhere from three feet to now they make them 18 feet, but you can use them in the increments um, that it's required to get you a head to head coverage. So we want to divide <coughs> evenly spacing for the sprinkler heads. In this case, if we're using that same 20 by 20 square, we would start at the, the zero mark, go 10 feet. And then from 10 feet to the next 10 feet, we'll get to the 20. So that'll be three sprinkler heads yeah. shooting Optimo, you know, head to head. And in the middle, you would have the same thing. So when you say that, that, that you want head to head coverage, I hear that all the time. 
Um, is the rationale because you want to uh, double the coverage between the two heads, or is it because of the throw that, that maybe it's, it's um, one, one head may not be covering the area immediately around it, and so that another one uh, does cover that? Um, yes, that's, a, that's correct. Um, the other reason is, again, um, the way the gods who uh, invented the irrigation, um, the optimum, I mean, back in the day, if you recall, uh, you had the brass champion heads, and those all came in 15-foot throws, and they were always spaced out in the middle of each other and thinking that they're all going to cover in time, you know, oversaturating, uh, running longer times. Um, as time has gone on and technology, they've, uh, they've, it, as, as, as it's evolved, now the heads are more precise, so you could turn them down by either adjusting a screw to get you that specific coverage, saving water, not having the the longer run times. Um, so if you're trying to cover almost every square foot as possible, um, thinking that there's also factors that may um, change the, uh, the, uh, the spray pattern being wind. So that's one thing that before that it was never taken into account. Nowadays, being the head to head coverage, if you, ha if you have wind traveling from left to right, right to left, you know, uh, north and south, you're gonna have water coverage in every direction and not having in the summer, you're gonna have a little corner that's burning out. So um, if the wind is flowing in one direction, naturally that 10-foot throw is probably reduced to 7 or 8 feet. Where the other head is shooting the same direction, it's pointing at the opposite, Got it. it's going to get further. So right. um, the only difference what, what that do is you're going to get overspray into other areas because of that, but you're also still getting that same coverage. Yeah, You're covering the area. So just staying on the heads for a minute, um, what would you be typically seeing in a slope area? Um, what's the, the, what are the options on how to irrigate a slope with, with whatever kind of shrubbery or ground cover? So on slopes, you're going to get, you know, depending obviously on the, uh, the uh, size of the slope or, or length and, 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 and so forth, how, you know, how high it goes, you're going to have your typical, you know, uh, spray head that pop up at the bottom of the, at the toe of the slope. And those you want them to be, you know, they come in, you know, anywhere from, uh, three inches up to 12 inches. Uh, your standard is going to be a 12-inch, you know, streamer or throw. Uh, in the middle, um, you're going to have your uh, your uh, heads sitting on top of a pipe. We call them nipples. Um, usually, those could be uh, um, UVR rated. You'll 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 see them on your most uh, on your professionally installed slopes. You're going to see your UVR rating pipe. That is uh, ultraviolet uh, resistant. So if it sits on a slope, chances are it's going to get beaten by the sun. So this particular pipe is rated to withstand heat um, and not go brittle in time. So you're going to have those, and then you're going to have your sprinkler head sitting on top of that, either by a uh, an adapter where you just have a nozzle or the actual shrub, we call a shrub rotor. Um, again, knowing the throw that you're going to shoot, let's go, let's say it's a 60-foot slope, and your heads are spaced out about 30 feet, uh, 30 feet on center. So you're going to want that you're, you're going to have a combination of heads buried in the ground, heads sitting above ground. And then at the very top of the slope, you may have rebar holding up a piece of pipe and the heads are going to be shooting in the opposite direction, pointing down. So um, in your typical slopes, you're going to have a combination of both uh, your stream rotor and your, uh, your uh, spray head. Okay. So, um, 
now as we, we kind of move from the components and talk about just actually how do we think about putting that all together, um, what would you say are some of the common misconceptions or mistakes that your just average person has about, um, about irrigation in general? Uh, standard maintenance. Everything is wear and tear. So your irrigation in the summer takes a beating. It's, you know, a lot of the components are spring-loaded. Um, they get beat by the sun, going back to the uh, ultraviolet rays. Um, if you have a lot of exposure to 100% sun, and let's just say we're having 100-degree weather, in time, that's going to wear that plastic. Um, so you're going to have cracking. You're going to have seals that start going bad. So when the head pops up, you, it's spring-loaded. Now that seal's weak. And it's either hitting the seal and making it into a point where it's not sealing properly. So you may have a little stream coming out of that. Um, even though it doesn't affect your actual spray, um, it does waste water. So now you're not having a full, you know, uh, amount of water coming out of the sprinkler head, but now you have water coming out of everywhere. So now you're, now you're losing water in other places, which if you have many of those, you're going to have lots of pressure. Yeah. So, um, the biggest thing is not inspecting your system. Just because it's in the ground doesn't mean it's going to work forever. You have to constantly have a maintenance on it, whether it be once a month, once a quarter. When you say um, maintenance, is it um, going in and repairing and replacing components that are already broken, or is it um, preemptively replacing components before they break? Um, we in, in the industry we call it basically uh, an inspection. You know, um, we call it PMI, preventative maintenance inspection. So if you fire it on, you know, because uh, nine times out of 10, the water is running at night. Mm -hmm. So most of our systems are operating at night. Um, if we're in the city of Irvine and other cities now that are converting to uh, um, reclaimed water, you're only allowed to water at night where, you know, it's out of danger or potential liability for kids to be drinking the water. Um, so because it's watering at night, you really don't see all the components working unless you're actually going head to head, watching everything, make sure that it's popping up properly. Um, the heads are actually spraying in the direction you want them to spray because again, it is a lot of moving components and there is wear and tear. So you're going to have some, you know, let's go back to the rotors. Those are gear driven. Um, so those gears tend to strip in time. So then the head doesn't either give you a full, say 180 degree rotation or a 360 rotation. It may move every time you turn it on and then it stops or the rotation becomes so slow that you, to the naked eye, it looks like it's moving, but if you stare at it for a good couple of minutes, it's really not moving. It's just your eyes thinking, watching everything else. Yeah. Um, so that becomes one of the main issues where the lack of, you know, inspecting them, you know, preventative inspections, basically. Um, that is one of the biggest problems that we as landscapers, um, we, we, we as a company, you know, not just to my own arm, but again, because I started in this, I'm very diligent to when I sell a product that, hey, we're gonna be checking the system monthly. Yeah. Because of that, you know, being commercial, there's kids out there riding bikes, there's people walking yeah. on the sidewalk, there's dogs urinating, there's, you know, you never know when it comes on. Somebody can hit it and somebody, believe it or not, they'll go and just twist the sprinkler head because they just think it's funny to get somebody get wet. I mean, yeah. kids in the summer tend to wanna to play with irrigation. Yeah. Though, I, you know, I've been in jobs where say 20 sprinkler heads are all pointing at the sidewalk because they know kids have done that on purpose. So when people are walking, it comes on at a certain amount, of, you know, certain time, especially at night when nobody's alone. I mean, yeah. when everybody's alone and yeah. walking their own, doing their own thing, they think it's funny to get somebody wet. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't inspect that, you know, 
Yeah. That's no. when things happen. <laughs> yeah. So you're the one that ruins the fun for all the kids. Yeah. yeah. Technically, yes, I'm supposed to. <laughs> so uh, you, you mentioned uh, reclaimed water. Um, can you talk about that for just a minute? Um, what is reclaimed water and are there any considerations about that that, uh, that communities should have? Well, uh, reclaimed water is treated water that's been recycled, basically. Um, and not every city provides that. Um, Irvine is the standard for reclaimed water, and everybody uses uh, their uh, measuring tools to, um, to feed your systems. Um, a lot of systems nowadays are being installed uh, with the, uh, the capability to become or be converted at one point in time. Uh, to be fed through uh, through a reclaimed system, and that's uh, identified by the purple logos. Right. Um, City of Irvine basically gives us um, an allotment for every property based on your square footage, so we need to follow those guidelines um, for usage. Otherwise, it can become very expensive. Uh, one, because it's treated water, so they have to pay somebody to you know keep treating that water and keep supplying it, which um, you're not going to see. Uh, uh, restrictions on that because again there's an abundance of that because again it's just recycled water that's just the treatment that goes into those plants um, and how they're feeding it that's where they're charging you um there are specific limitations to the use of uh reclaimed water um one you can't uh use it where it's uh there's constant kids around um or you have to have somebody supervising the water operating you can't just have it running on its own like your standard sprinkler system have it oh. say during the day you're your water, uh, your park is stressing. You, say you want to turn the water on and, you know, kids go out and see it fun play. Um, because there is a lot of chemicals and reclaimed water, um, it could become irritating to your skin. You could be allergic to it. I mean, there's so many, there's, there's tons of chemicals that go into that. And it's reprocessed and pre-processed to the point where I know I've had irritations, you know, of it. Mm. Um, and it, they're not severe, but again, it's because your skin is not used to having all those chemicals being applied, you know, yeah. uh, to your to you at any given moment so for kids because kids are constantly wanting to they see water think it's funny to run through it and kids want to open their mouth and you know see the spray just like your pets um so to prevent any of those potential uh, hazards um the city has those uh specific rules in place that you yeah. have to abide by does everybody abide by them i would say a good 50 percent of the people do it um those that are diligent understanding what they're working with and that's the biggest thing understanding what you're working with um yeah. we emphasize because of the hoa world do not turn system on unless you're specifically there don't turn it on and go walk around and see where the water's at because you just never know you may you know, water may come on and somebody's on, on the other end of it so yeah um, unless you have a map of your community and how it's watering and you have a reclaimed system that's running that um yeah it's it's very uh important to know where the uh, the watering locations are. So um, aside from, you know, supervising when you're watering that, um, you have to be properly labeled. Um, if you have a broken sprinkler head, you have to replace it with another identifiable uh, sprinkler head that has that uh, purple marking on it. If it's a pipe, normally they, you put a sticker on it that says it's, uh, it's a warning label that's, hey, it's reclaimed water being used. Um, your valves are typical, you know, purple lids on top of them. Um, so there's, there's identifiable markers, uh, identifiable markers that we're using for, for the system. Yeah. So, uh, talk to me about the, uh, the, the time settings for, um, irrigation that you might think through. So let's say that, um, 
you're going to allocate uh, 15 minutes um, for a particular part of your system to run. Do you run it for the 15 straight minutes? Do you break it up into two seven and a half minute um, increments. increments or like, how do you think through how to break down your, your timing of how you do your irrigation? That's a good question. Um, breaking down an irrigation system to its watering uh, times are uh, important to know the, the terrain you're working with. Um, first off, shrubs or grass. As we all know, um, your grass is your most uh, water-loving uh, shrub. So if we're going to use it on grass, we want to know how mature the grass may be. So understanding your root zone depth, um, what type of soil are you, are you working with? Is it a rocky soil? Is it, uh, is it sandy soil? Is it clay? Is it a mixture? Um, that's very important because... One of the biggest problems we will find is we'll get called and say, hey, this area is saturated. And for whatever reason, it either got missed that it's clay. So if you're trying to run something, you know, if, let's say for 10, 15 minutes, that clay has a water holding capacity. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of once that's filled, it's, it's understanding how long does it take for that to deplete. So you're just wasting water at that point. You're just point. wasting water because that's where you get your, your common runoff. Uh, if you have sandy soil, water is just going to percolate right on through. So you may think that, wow, 15 minutes and it's already dry. So that may require what we call multiple cycles. To, we got to fill that, that glass water, you know, mm -hmm. uh, up to a certain point where we, we, we understand, okay, now we see a little bit of runoff. That means that glass is probably full. So um, you may have to take a timer to your system, you know. Um, understanding, you know, going back to understanding that terrain would be knowing your properties. If we know that let's say the sports field and, and uh, on the south side of the community is always hit by the sun. But we also know that it's, it's sandy soil because it backs up to an area where maybe at one point there was a creek or something going on there. Um, so that, that, that water there may need constant watering throughout the day, and it may, may need supplemental. Um, but again, without knowing the property, without doing your preventative maintenance, you really don't see those things unless you spend the time to get to know each property. So... Um, Going back to how do you set the time is understanding your, your soils, understanding what you're watering and how old it may be because you can water turf, but if it's a week old or let's say a month old, it's not even established yet. So the root zone on that is going to be super shallow. By the time you water it, you know, water's going to de uh, deplete itself down. So the roots aren't getting that to that water. So you want to keep constant moisture, you know, low enough where the roots still can get some water. Now you also want to train your plant material to fetch the water. So don't maintain a constant uh, moisture level where the roots are just at bay hanging out. They're loving the water. It's, uh, they don't have to travel for it because the minute you shock them in the summer where they're not getting that constant water, they don't know what to do. So, so you, you have to wanna, train your plants. You have to train your plants to chase the water. <laughs> and the roots, you know, um, you stress them out a little, that makes the roots want to go out and, and, and look for the water. You don't want to stress your plants out where we get to a permanent wilting point. Cause there's no coming back from that. Yeah. So you stress them out to a point where they're, they're looking a little sad. They may be, you know, I mean, a, a couple leaves are, are, are starting to burn because of the heat. Um, chances are you want to put some water in that, cool it down. Um, and that kind of gives the, the plant some strength to want to get stronger and develop uh, deeper roots. So when we, when we now shift the conversation, you're kind of going there a little bit. Um, 
to water conservation or just saving dollars by not overwatering, it seems to me, and you can tell me if I'm missing anything here, that it's really important that you get the right um, the right times on your cycles so that you're not overwatering and and having all kinds of runoff that's doing you no good. Um, and you also want to make sure you have the right heads in the right places, um, depending on the, the terrain, the plant material, the age of the plant material, its maturity and so forth. Um, is there anything else that should be taken into consideration to, to save, um, save costs and save water? Yes. If you're in shade, you definitely want to keep track of how long does it take for that area to dry up? Um, understanding that there's shrubs that don't like to be in the shade. Um, you may have what we call microclimates around your properties. Uh, microclimates would be an area that gets a lot of sun versus an area that if you go around the building, you may get a, say, 70-30, 70% sun, 30% shade in the evening, or vice versa. Or even I would imagine wind patterns, if, if there's buildings that certain areas could have a lot more wind than other areas that Protected, are going to dry correct. things out or, yes. and so forth. So, yeah, um, understanding all that is, is very critical to, to going back to, to the savings. Because yeah, if, if you have a lot of wind, and depending on your, um, on your uh, spray pattern, whether it be a, a stream rotor, so the droplets on the stream rotor, going back to the stream rotor, um, for a wind pattern, they're going to carry because the throw is further, they're going to carry away. So the watering time for a stream rotor will be a lot longer versus a spray head, your typical spray head that's just stationary. Um, because there's there's constant movement in the gears of the spray pattern, how it moves, it's moving at a, at a, at a certain rate that you have to give it time for it to make a few turns. So those sprinkler heads, even though they may put out, let's say three gallons per minute, compared to your half a gallon per minute, that stationary sprinkler head is designed to just sit there and give you that on the minute range versus the long range is putting out bigger droplets, bigger range. And you have to take account that it's gotta go in a couple turns yeah. and how it sprays. So if there's a lot of wind and it's moving really slow, that water's gonna get carried away. So um, those are the other things you wanna factor into going back to your watering times is, you know, understanding if you water at night, we get a lot of wind. Some of these canyons get a lot of wind at night or in the mornings. So- You might not actually be saving water by watering at night. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. But unless you pay attention to that or knowing your surroundings, um, yeah, you may yeah. not even know that you're wasting water because of the winds carrying everything and you wonder, why are my plants wet? How come yeah. it seems dry every time? And you think that you're you're strategically watering by doing it at night when actually you might uh, uh, Be get better saturation yeah. doing it during the day. During the day, correct. Interesting. Um, last thing I have for you, just kind of on the same topic, um, what are your thoughts on um, systems that are that are satellite based, connected to um, you know, weather predictions, and um, how they tie into uh, to, to your watering times and whether systems go on and off um, based on those kinds of setups? So we call those smart controllers nowadays, smart mm -hmm. technology. Right. I started installing smart controllers in 1996. It's been a while. The company I worked for, um, we had our own uh, division and we had a patent on our own system. And back then you had a few, uh, your common Maxicoms that for those, you know, that understand, you know, telephone lines and mod old school modems. 
um, we had to install phone lines. Literally had to get the phone company to run a phone line from a building to a controller yeah. so I could connect via computer. And you had the ringtone, if you remember the weird sounds yeah. that it yep. would do. Kind of like the fax machines, right? Yeah. Um, so we started installing those way back then. And I learned real quick that that controller is as good as its programmer. Because I may have a lot of experience, you know, uh, seeing water and hot waters and understanding soils. But now you got to tell that controller station by station what it's watering. So most manufacturers now um, have default settings. And that's just because there's people that don't want to take the time to uh, learn um, what the water requirements are for some shrubs, you know. Some, you know, we, we may call them um, drought-tolerant plant material, but when they're new, they're not drought-tolerant, you know. They become yeah. drought-tolerant as time goes by, and they've acclimated themselves to, to the land and the terrain. So, you know, by telling a controller it's, uh, its root zone is 12 inches deep when you have shrubs that are probably, you know, 20, 30 inches deep, you have to give it for the smallest root zone depth on that station. Otherwise, the controller thinks, oh, it's 20 inches. I'm going to put down, say, 50 gallons, you know, in this uh, watering cycle. So now it knows that, you know, uh, let's say it's June, July. Um, you have to tell it what, for the area, what we have is, a, is a, a, the uh, crop coefficient for the plant. And you have to tell it um, the ET or evapotranspiration rate for the area. So coastal areas versus let's say the desert or the right. Inland Empire, different different heat patterns. Um, obviously, coastal areas are going to be a lot cooler versus in, uh, you know, in the Inland Empire, we have a lot more drier weather. So you got to tell the controller those specifics that, hey, we're in a, you know, in a high uh, heat area. Um, we have plant material that's fairly young. Um, we have soil that is uh, very rocky or let's say it's sandy soil very sandy soil um the type of head that you're using it wants to know that too um is it uh full sun full shade or a mixture and yeah. if so what's the percentage of sun versus shade or vice versa um do you have a uh, mixed uh, system meaning are you watering um some grass and some shrubs um believe it or not that still exists the mixing of the shrubs because yeah. they think Oh, well, we have this grass area over here to shade. We can water it with this, you know, sun area where the shrubs are. They just, or somebody just added a, a turf area to old existing shrub bed, sure. and now it's become a small turf area, so they're watering that. So the controller wants to know that as well. And if you don't give this controller all this specific information, it's just running like a regular timer that you would go old school and just program it to whatever you think it may be. So, so the bottom line is, it sounds like smart controllers can be helpful, but you need to have a smarter person um, programming them to, to really get You have get to the tell it what to do exactly. Yeah. Um, and then going back to, there's many ways uh, these smart controllers work now because now you have satellite-based where there's, you know, they have a cell card on them where they're receiving data from a specific weather station that's, you know, pertaining to that specific area. Yeah. Um, or there's a historical data that... You know, if there isn't a specific weather station, they're going off historical data based for their um, where it's, what it's watering. And you want to program that for the worst time of the year for that specific area. So we know here in the summer, 
you know, August is about the hottest it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna get where it gets in the hundreds, and, you, and it may be for a few days, but you have to plan for that worst case scenario. Otherwise, your shrubs are gonna suffer when it gets to that point, and then the controller starts to basically water based on that historical data. It knows, you know, from worst case to you know, say, um, the lowest you know, or the coldest weather that or the wettest uh, time of the year here would be what February, maybe January, so have to give it those two, you know, scenarios yeah. for it to work properly as well. So, but it all goes back to, um, who's the programmer. Yeah. If you yeah. can't tell the controller, um, that specific information or that controller doesn't have the means to absorb that information because there's controllers out there that are basic, right? Yeah. Like your kind of like vehicles, you can have your Rolls Royce of irrigation or sure. you can have your, you know, economic, you know, Honda, Ford, whatever it may be, even though it's still a nice car, but it doesn't have all those extra gadgets yeah. that these, uh, you know, like, cause again, having a, a cell site communication versus you just telling it, programming it there, programming the weather, the, the, the days and when to adjust a seasonal adjust. Yeah. Super helpful. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. This has been a lot of really good information and uh, a, a lot to know about irrigation. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I uh, would just encourage you to continue looking for additional episodes of The Uncommon Area. <laughs>